Hello, and welcome to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. We are currently teaching a series through the Apostles' Creed. C.E.B. Cranfield described the Creed as a comprehensive summary of New Testament teaching and is such an invaluable aid towards a reasonably clear understanding of the Christian faith. In this series, we will use the Apostles' Creed as an outline to teach key biblical passages on many of the essential beliefs that form our Christian faith. So if you have your Bibles, your phones, your iPads, whatever you got, let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. The book of Romans is a great theological masterpiece. Um, Basically, uh, chapters 1 through 11 are just a lot of key theological doctrine. And then verse 12, he kind of shifts over to, okay, what do we do about this? How do we apply this? So obviously we're in the theology part in chapter 10. And what he's going to talk about specifically is what do we mean when we say, I believe? What do we mean when we say, I believe? So Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So what I hope we'll see this morning that Paul is teaching us is three things. We're going to look at the essence of belief. In other words, what does it mean to believe? What does it mean to believe biblically? And we're going to look at the substance of belief. What or or who do we believe in? what we believe in or who we believe in that matters, the substance of belief. And then we're going to look at the weight of belief. What is at stake? What is at stake? And so we'll begin with this statement, I believe in God. He says, I believe in God. Now, there's certain words, there's certain phrases, there's certain concepts in language, especially in English, where they could have a variety of meaning. And some of those, it depends on on the scope of intensity of of what you mean and the context in what you're saying. Probably the most most interesting one is the word, the, the, the idea, I love, right? If I was to say, I love ice cream, and then I was to say, I love my wife, I sure hope, and it is true, trust me, honey, I sure hope that I, I, I mean something completely different when I say that. When I say I love ice cream, I'm saying I have, I have a, an intense bad habit, enjoyment, and like for ice cream. I like ice cream. When I say I love my wife, I mean she is the most important person to me other than God, and I would do anything for her. It is an increase. It, it is it, based on the intensity and the context. I love can mean a variety of things. And husbands, if you ever get to that point where your wife's not sure if, if, if you're getting that balance right, you could just say this, 
honey, I love you so much, I would give up ice cream forever. And then you're back in good graces. Well, as it turns out, when we, when we use this idea, when we say, I believe, we have this same dilemma. I mean, I can say, I believe enough, like if you gave me a multiple choice uh, a test, A, B, or C, I believe it enough to make a good guess, I'll guess C, right? But what about if I said, I believe in something so much, I'd be willing to die for it. There's a huge spectrum there. So when we say, I believe, what do we mean? When the scriptures say, I believe, what does it mean? And thankfully in this passage, Paul leads us in the right direction. He gives us some more uh, uh, substance to help us understand. And the first thing that we see in this text when we're trying to figure out what does this mean to believe, like Paul is referring to, when we believe, it's connected with the gospel. And you say, how does that happen in this passage? It starts in the beginning. He says, this thing is close to you. It's the word of faith that we proclaim. In the first century, to these original, uh, uh, the original author speaking to this original audience, when he says the word of faith that we proclaim, he's referring to the gospel message, the good news, the word of faith that we proclaim to you. And what this teaches us is this, that how you respond reveals the intensity and scope of your belief. And I'll give you an illustration. Maybe you can... Maybe you've had this happen to you, or you can at least use your imagination and relate to this. Have you ever purchased a gift for somebody, and you were really excited about it? You spent time thinking about them, and you picked out the perfect gift, and you bought this gift for them, and you wanted to be there when they open it. You imagine in your head them opening it and the look on their face and the enjoyment that they have when they first see this gift that you gave to them and they just feel, they feel the love that you intended for them to feel and you want to be there. You give them this gift and they open it and they're like, oh cool. And then they move on to the next gift. How do you feel in that moment? You feel let down. You feel disappointed. Why? Because they didn't experience this gift as a good gift like you wanted them to experience it. The gospel is like this. When we hear the message about who Jesus is, about who God is, and what God has done, and what God has promised. When we hear the gospel, how you respond really indicates your level of belief. And Paul is saying that the type of belief he's talking about would be the type of uh, a belief when you say, I believe in God, you're saying, I believe it as if it is great news. You're understanding the scope of the beauty of who he is and what he's done. And you're responding with this joyous response. It is good news. So he connects our, 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 our believing with this idea that it is Good news. And how it works is that we, the word of faith is like this. It's preserved in the scriptures. God has made known to us through the scriptures who he is, the gospel message, the word of faith. It's proclaimed by God's people. We call this evangelism. When we go share our faith, when we tell people this, about this good news, it's called evangelism. The Holy Spirit opens our eyes and helps us see it as good news. If you want to nerd out, you, you look at uh, uh, 
the idea of hermeneutics is, is the science of studying Scripture. I know it's a nerdy word, hermeneutics. just means understanding the Scriptures. And one of the key principles of, of, of hermeneutics is understanding what's called divine illumination. That the Holy Spirit needs to come and shine the good news of the good news into our hearts. And when we see this as good news, it's, not, it's no longer just information that we're reading and believing, it becomes this thing that illuminates and becomes this gospel great news in our hearts and in our lives. And when that happens, we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart. And the Bible calls this regeneration. So there's a lot of nerdy theological words there to understand that when you hear this news about who God is in the scriptures or maybe from somebody who shared it with you and the Holy Spirit comes and illuminates it for you and helps you see the good news in the good news and then you respond by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. That's the scope of when we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe. It's a deep and rich and substantial biblical belief. And then letter B, he says, if you confess with your mouth. Specifically, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord. Now, someone might say, I believe in God, but it's kind of a private thing for me. Right? I like to keep that part of my life private. Well, you have the right to do that, but I would point out that the type of substance, the type of, of, of belief that Paul is talking about is the type of belief to which you see it as such great news that it would be selfish to, to keep it to yourself, to not share it. He's saying if you really believe the way I'm talking about this passage, you're, gonna, you're not going to be able to keep it to yourself. It's going to come out. It's a, it's a scope and intensity of this belief, it can't be contained. It can't be hidden. And then he says, if you believe in your heart. So if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, it has to be more than just mouth service. It's one thing if you go around confessing to everybody and telling everybody you believe, but what he's saying, it's got to be this deep inner depth of belief that goes all the way to your your innermost part, your, your heart. And now there doesn't need to be, when he says you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, it's not saying go around and be a pompous, know-it-all, you know, uh, uh, a loud mouth about it. But he's saying it should come out in your life and it should be this deep inner conviction, this type of belief where you see it as good news and you want to share it as good news. It's this deep, transformative faith. As a matter of fact, the gospel is deep and transformative when it takes root. That's why James could say that faith without works is dead, not because you need to do things to be saved, but because the type of faith that the Bible is talking about, the kind of believing, there's no way that it could not impact you. If I said I love my wife, but everything about the way I treat her and the way I orient my life doesn't show that I love my wife. Like if I love my wife, which I do, it's going to change me. Matter of fact, I remember doing youth ministry and then kids always grow up. You ever notice that? 
Like they grow up and then they go off to school, they go off to college. And I remember one of these um, young men that I was in my youth ministry came back and he said, I had a great first year of college and now I started uh, my second year of college and my roommate, my best friend, is completely gone crazy. He totally changed. I go, what happens? He got a girlfriend. Now all he wants to do is talk about her and, and hang out with her. It's like, yeah, dude, love changes you, right? Grow up. Get yourself a girlfriend, right? But love has this powerful ability to just transform. If it's real and if it's authentic, something is going to come of it. It's going gonna, it's gonna to transform you. And the gospel is like this. Our love for God is like this. Our belief is like this. It's transformative when it's real and has substance. So we, when we say we believe, Paul's saying there's a depth in it. There's a specific type of belief. It's literally the type of belief that we see in the first century that men and women are willing to die for. This deep belief. The number two in your notes that we want to look at is the substance or belief or who or what we believe in is what really matters. So number two in your notes is the God I believe in. Let's look at the God we believe in. A.W. Tozer, a great pastor, great theologian, he wrote a book called the, about the attributes of God, the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the holy is the book. You may have read it. It's a great old school classic. The first line of this book, he says this. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Does that sound dramatic? But what he's, what he's getting at is if, if God is as big as God, as we know God to be, if he's as central in our lives as, as he should be, then what we think about him should be that central. It should literally be the most important thing about us. If we don't understand who God is, if we don't give Him the, the, the right place in our lives, it will affect everything in our lives. It becomes this foundation, this starting point, this, 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 this apex, this, this, this crux, this, 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 this foundational believing the most important thing about you. So what we believe about God is important. Here's what Paul talks about in this passage about the God that we believe in. The first thing is, he says it's the God of the Bible. When we say, I believe in God, we're not just saying, I believe that there must be a God. We're not just saying that you know, there has to be some higher power out there. We are talking about a specific God. The God of the Bible he does that in at least four ways in this passage alone. He says, the word is near you. What is the word? It's the scriptures. It's, it's who God is and who he's made himself, uh, who, who he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures. He says, the word of faith, he calls it. That's the gospel in the scriptures. He says, but what does it say? What do you think that it is? It's the scriptures. And then if you've completely lost all of that, he goes, for the scripture says, right? It's very clear. You're talking about the God of the Bible when we say, I believe in God, the Father. Now, here's the thing that we need to know theologically. God is who God is. 
That's exactly what God said to Moses in Exodus. He goes, who should I say has sent me? He goes, tell him I am sent you. I am who I am. You can't make up who you want God to be. I mean, you can, but you're going to be wrong unless you unless you're right. There's only one right, right? He is who he is. Our task is not to reason with ourselves and try to figure out who we want God to be or who we think God is. God has already made himself known to us through the scriptures. It's the word of faith. He says the word is near you. It's right there. He's trying to to help you see it. And our task is to search the scriptures to discover who God is. And thank God we have divine illumination. We're back to our nerd nerdiness, right? Divine illumination. We're not left alone to figure it out. We have the Holy Spirit that comes and helps us. So, so when we say, I believe in God, we're talking about a specific God, the God of the Bible. And then letter B, he says, and Jesus is Lord. When we say, I believe in God, we're talking about Jesus, who is Lord. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Now, the New Testament is written primarily in Greek. The Old Testament is written in Hebrew. And before Jesus was, was born, I don't know if you guys knew this, Alexander the Great had come and he'd Hellenized the whole world, basically. He tried to make it all Greek, Greek language, Greek culture. So before Jesus is born, they had translated the, the, the Old Testament for most believers into Greek. It's called the Septuagint, right? So we have this this, this translated version, when Jesus was studying the scriptures, when they would study the scriptures, they would study it primarily in Greek. And they would have learned it in Hebrew too because they were good Jewish boys, right? And girls. But, but, but there was this already there. In the Septuagint and in the New Testament, the, the word that they used for, for, for God, his name, they only, they only used it with four letters, right? It was Y-H-W-H, known as the Tetragrammaton. The Jewish people were afraid to use God's name because it was so holy, so they didn't give it any vowels. They just wrote it by these four letters. Later, they tried to figure out, what does this mean? Some people think it means Jehovah. Jehovah is trying to transliterate these four letters, the, 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 the Tetragrammaton. Most Jewish scholars, though, use the word Yahweh. Yahweh. And when they translate Yahweh from Hebrew to Greek, it's always this word kurios. It's the word that Paul uses in Romans chapter 10. He's literally saying, when he says Jesus is Lord, he's saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is the God of the Bible. He's the God eternal. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternally God, Yahweh. When we say Jesus is Lord, it's the first Christian creed. It was the reason all of the first century uh, Jews died when when they were martyred. They would literally take them before Caesar and they would say, say, say Caesar is Lord. And they would refuse to say Caesar is Lord. Why? Because Yahweh alone is Lord. Jesus is Lord. They would die for this creed, this type of belief. When we say Jesus is Lord, biblically it means at least three things. 
When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying who Jesus is eternally. He is Yahweh. It means what what Jesus has done on our behalf. When we say Jesus is Lord, John Stott says it like this. Jesus is Lord is a symbol of God's victory over sin and death. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying we're, we're talking about who Jesus is to the church. That he is the king of our kingdom. That he is Lord. He is our king. He's our master. He's our savior. He's God eternal. Jesus is Lord. When we say that, when we're talking about the God who we believe in, Paul says in letter C that Yahweh alone saves. That Yahweh alone saves. He says, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What does that mean? That means if you do not believe in your heart, you will not be saved. When we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying Yahweh alone saves. We're saying you cannot save yourself. We're saying you need Yahweh. You need Jesus. It's highly offensive in our day. It's incredibly unpopular. It feels a little bit like, uh, like, we're, 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 like we're not being fair. But it is not the case. I would say it like this. Imagine you had a terminal sickness. Imagine you, 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 had, you had been diagnosed with something terminal. And, and imagine how that, the weight of that. And then a doctor came up to you and said, but we have a cure. We have a cure. It has a 100% success rate. Everybody who takes this medicine is cured. And we want to give it to you for free. How many of you guys would go, that is so unfair, only one cure? No, you would be thankful that there's a cure. It would be good news. It wouldn't be unfair at all. It would be incredibly gracious. So Paul is saying we believe that God has offered us The answer, the cure. And when we see it as good news, we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart and we're saved. It is great news. In letter three, or number three in your notes, we're going to talk about the the weight of our belief or what is at stake. What is at stake when when we believe or we don't believe? And we'll look at it as the God who saves. In this passage, he says, when we believe, the way that he's explaining belief, not like believe, like, like okay, you got to pick A, B, or C on a multiple choice. I believe it must, it's probably C. That's not the type of belief. It's the type of belief where Jesus is Lord that throughout the ages, Christians have died for. A deep, transformative belief. And he says, what is at stake is justification and salvation. And he's saying that you, we cannot, we believe that we cannot justify ourselves. We're not going to, in other words, he's saying like this, you're not, we're all going to stand before God one day and none of us is going to be able to say, let me give you, let me give you my resume and let me explain to you some of the great things that I've done in my life. And hopefully you'll think I did a great enough job and, and, and you'll justify me. No, 
it will not work. Right? He's saying, you're going to stand there and you're going to be like, I have nothing to offer, but Jesus died on the cross and that's, that's, that's where I'm staking my justification on. That's what he's saying. And in that, we can be saved. And Paul teaches us about this in letter A, that everyone is offered salvation. That everyone is offered salvation. He says in verse 12, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord over all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. So everyone is offered salvation. Not everyone believes, though, and receives salvation. So how does this work in Paul's Paul's process here? Letter B, it works like this. God calls us. And if you look through... If you look through this passage in Romans chapter 10, you're going to say, well, I don't see that in the passage. It's a little bit tricky. Paul says it very clearly, but it's a little bit tricky. And he says it like this. In in verse 13, he gives us a quote. You notice there's quotation marks. It says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why do you think he puts it in quotation marks? Because he's quoting something. What is he quoting? He's quoting the Old Testament in Joel 2.32. Joel 2.32 says this, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said. And among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. In other words, there's this dynamic, mysterious, process in which the Lord is calling us and we must call on the Lord. The Lord is calling us and we must call on the Lord. Jesus said that you'll never come to him unless the, unless the Father draws you to him. Because God calls us first. We would say it like this. If God didn't make himself known to us and he didn't call us, if there was no divine illumination, if the Holy Spirit wasn't working to call us to the, the Lord, we would never call on him on our own. We just wouldn't. So the Lord calls us first. And this is what I, what, what, what I believe. And there's some discrepancy amongst theologians. When the, when the Bible says you're chosen or you're elect, I believe it means he calls you, he chooses you, he elects you first. In other words, we don't call him, elect him, choose him first. He calls us, elects us, chooses us first. And if he didn't do that, we'd have no chance. So how does this work out in our life? How do we balance this tension between, well, if God God needs to call us, then it's up to Him. But then it also says that we need to call on Him. We need to respond. How should we apply this to our lives? Here's a couple of thoughts. We should study the Scripture like it depends on us. We shouldn't be lazy about Bible. So we should study the Scripture like it depends on us. On us, but we should rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. Divine illumination, that's how it works. So if we just didn't study the Bible, we're not going to grow in our, in our faith. And if He didn't help us, we would, never, we would never be able to grow in our faith. So it needs to work together that we try, we're faithful, and we trust Him with the results. This happens with prayer. We, we should pray like it depends on us. And we should rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. For those of us who teach the Bible, we should preach like 
a sermon like it depends on us. And we should rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. Matt, when you prepare for Thursday Bible study, do you think, I'm not going to try hard and study because it's all up to God? No, we, 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 we study and we teach like it depends on us, but we rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. How does this work in evangelism? We share the gospel with people like it depends on us. And we pray and we rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. So we seek to know God. We call on Him. We hunger for Him. We pursue Him like it depends on us. And we rest in the knowledge that it depends on God. So we believe He is good news. Therefore, we pursue Him. And we believe He is at work within us. Therefore, we have confidence. And we'll have the worship team come back up. And it says, well, he calls on us, and then he says, and so we call on the Lord. We call on the Lord. To call on the name of the Lord, to, to package this all together, to call on the name of the Lord is to respond to the gospel by putting your faith in Christ for salvation. When we say we believe, we're believing he is Savior. So to, to, res- to call on the Lord, like this passage tells us to, is to respond to the gospel by putting your faith in Christ's for salvation. It also means, it means putting your life in God's hands to be used as he directs according to his will. It's to say, I believe is to say he is savior, to say he is king. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.